Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Meraki Unboxed podcast. It is March. It is Women's History Month. So I'm really excited to have an amazing female leader on the podcast today. Before we get into the grit and the meat of the story, uh, I'll remind you one more time, please download, listen, subscribe, tell all your friends about the podcast. We're releasing new content about every two weeks. And if you have ideas, you want to collaborate with us, go ahead and tweet us at Meraki Simon, and we'll be sure to get in touch with you. So let's transition and introduce our guest for today. By the way, I'm Sammy Brenner, who will be taking us through the episode. So Shauna Del Hero is the Vice President of Technology Operations and Modernization at VisionWorks of America. Prior to her current role, Shauna served as the Director of IT Transition. She's held leadership positions both in technology and in supply chain within organizations such as Coca-Cola, Philips Lighting, and Versant Health. Uh, she has a deep passion for technology and would describe herself as driven and a highly motivated leader. Uh, something very important to her and near and dear to her heart is the DEI efforts at her organization. And I should mention that she is the executive sponsor for the LG. BTQ Plus uh, organization within VisionWorks, their employee resource group. So excited to hear more about that. Without further ado, welcome to the Meraki Unbox podcast, Shauna. How are you? Thank you. I appreciate uh, you having me here today, Sammy. Thank you. Fabulous. We're so excited to have you. And it's unique that we, this is actually my first time interviewing a customer, a Meraki customer on the podcast. So I'm really excited to get in and kind of understand all the things here. So let's dive in. And and I guess I'm curious, let's start from the beginning. Um, tell us your story. How did you get into technology and how did you eventually land at VisionWorks specifically? Sure. So I, I landed in technology really by happenstance. Um, you know, I set out um, really with an expectation of being more within the organizational development space. And quickly what I found was that technology was really the you know, at the, the foundational layer um, for all things that were change related. And it was really what was the catalyst for enabling people and processes. And I really kind of took the hook to that um, and became kind of a technology champion of sorts. And then really found myself um, with my drive for learning, wanting to just better understand more around that and really just kind of evolved into more of a, a technology leader role. Um, whenever I came to VisionWorks, uh, going on actually just over nine years um, I've certainly seen a lot in the way of change uh, during that time, um, but started here whenever we were part of another organization, have seen you know the transformation that we've gone through and now being part of VSP Global, um, certainly in our prime time um, as an organization with really pushing forward in modernization, innovation with technology. So very pleased to be in the role that I'm in today. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And I'm sure even over the last two years, the transformation that technology has taken and how businesses have had to pivot due to the pandemic has probably been a first in your career for you to witness as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the ability to be flexible and to have the, you know, the presence to recognize that technology is really the enabler versus, you know, the blocker or the long pole in the tent as it once were. That was really key for us as an organization to be able to jump out in front and to be able to reopen and emerge with really some great new ideas, some great new innovations to be able to serve our patients and our customers. And most certainly 
um, front of mind was the safety and the security and the health and wellness of our patients and our doctors and our associates. So a lot that we were able to do at that time, whenever, you know, COVID first, you know, came about, which it's so hard to believe it's already been two years, but, you know, as we looked at different ways to innovate and to modernize around AI and RPA, just some things that really were going to take a bit longer on our roadmap and our journey, we were able just to dive into those and, and really be very scrappy about how we did so. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. And I'm sure Meraki plays a big part of that story. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, you know, I'm curious, tell us about your experience leading IT infrastructure at VisionWorks. Um, you know, what was your network prior to Meraki? Um, and do you remember kind of when you first heard about Cisco Meraki and what was the, the process to integrate that technology? Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, a great evolution that we've gone through as an organization over the last few years. And as we really kind of decoupled and became our own standalone entity for a period of time, um, we really had kind of a, a patchwork of technologies and solutions within the environment. And so as I took on the role um, that I did with VisionWorks, it really was an opportunity to, to re-solution and to set a roadmap for standardization and one that became much more scalable and more suitable for our retail and our clinical environments. So when we looked at that and we were identifying different partners, different solutions and different strategies, Cisco was really came in very strong as a partner that we knew we had great alignment with. The team was certainly someone that we found great synergy around our, our mission and our value system and really seemed to understand um, quite deeply what it was that we were seeking to achieve from an architecture and an enterprise um, level of engagement. So when we started to then talk about what solutions would fall within that entire engagement, um, Meraki certainly had you know some very aggressive, really um, fun and innovative technologies that we knew we wanted to take advantage of. You know, some of those that, you know, we looked at from the legacy, you know, camera systems in our stores, for instance, um, and taking something that seemed like such a, a simple, you know, but antiquated technology that we really could take better advantage of by putting one simple Meraki 360 camera in every location and being able to not only have that for a security and a safety element, but all of the different info elements that we could glean from that around, you know, customer traffic, around being able just to, to see the environment and be able to help and troubleshoot and support our associates within the stores whenever they had opportunities and issues. So simple things that make a big difference in the overall experience. And that's just one example where we've been able to leverage Meraki. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. And I think you know, your comment about we wanted to create a roadmap for standardization, right? We had disparate systems before. We wanted this to be something scalable and reliable and simplicity, right, is a huge thing with Meraki. So you're saying a lot of the buzzwords that are getting me excited. But, you know, in terms of, I'm glad you touched on that. And you mentioned just now, like corporate values. And I think that's something really important to call out. So when it comes to vision works and your decision making process and how you select vendors you know how does that tie in with your corporate values you have you know a vetting process with vendors to make sure that you know you're aligning sure so when we talk about who we are um, as an identity so be human be simple be bold so if i put those into practical application within the technology space 
it works really well. So if I'm always focused on what this is going to be like for my associates and their experience, what's this going to be like for my customers, my patients and their experience, but what am I doing in the way of simplifying to make certain that it's something that's scalable, it's not overly complex, it's something that has good level of integration and opportunity for the future. So that's the simplicity piece of it. But then also I wanna be bold. I wanna jump out in front. I want others within our industry, within our space to look at us as being the forerunner, the one that is out there saying, well, that is technology that we never expected to see in an optical or optical retailer or an eye care space. So all of those things combined, again, when I take them and I apply them across, I wanna see a partner and a solution on the other side that is equally as bold, but understands the need for simplicity, but truly demonstrates something where the, the understanding and not just the understanding, but the execution to focus on that human element. What is this going to do? What is this going to, how is this gonna be received? Um, what's the perception of this across the market? You know, what does this look like? Do we look like we're overcomplicating? Because then we've just broken rule number two around being simple. So we want a simplified experience, but we want something that's really going to drive for a positive experience. And we want to be bold by it. So again, very basic, um, but something that is very well received whenever I talk to, to other partners. Um, it comes across very quickly who can really subscribe to that and who can't. Um, and certainly, you know, Cisco and, you know, the Meraki SMEs have done a great job of seeming to understand exactly what we are looking to execute against. Right. Yeah. I mean, hearing you talk about be human, be simple, be bold, that aligns very closely to Meraki's values, right? We have several, several, but simplify everything, uh, being brave, right? Those are two of them right there. So I could see how this would be kind of a, a perfect marriage, if you will, of values aligning and then delivering the best product possible to our customers that really solves for their pain points, right? Um, so you're using Meraki in some pretty creative ways. I love that you brought up the 360 camera. You're talking about analytics, pulling data, right? Taking your older legacy camera system, transitioning to Meraki and getting a lot more, right? Data information out of this camera. Um, you mentioned earlier that automation was something really important for your team, scalability. Can you kind of expand on, aside from the cameras, what else in the platform and how else have you automated um, the, the technology portfolio? Sure. I mean, I think it, it steps across a, a number of different lines, but I mean, Whenever we look at where we are today, a network engineer is no longer someone who has hands on metal all of the time, right? They're not someone who's boots on the ground in a data center or in a, an IDF. A number of times they're sitting and they're working via an orchestrator and their, their job has evolved to something that is much more around the space of intuitive technology, being able to leverage the ability to look inside of the network and be able to respond and react or to be able to take action against something because there's a request for it. Um, so I, I think as we look at those solutions in, in the market that have been able to say, hey, what are we going to do to make for a really great network engineers experience that makes it simple for them to action against what their job is? Um, I think Meraki does a great job of, of exemplifying that. So, you know, being part of that and making certain that 
our teams and our technologies and our education stays very, very much up to date and up to speed. I think Meraki's done a great job of being able to host a number of those things to be able to bring us the journey. Um, and again, to bring, you know, the talent on my team, which is stellar, but to make certain that everyone understands the best utilization of that, because one of my greatest frustrations is having a solution in the environment that is only halfway utilized, right? So, and that happens so often. We do it all the time with just our smartphones. We only use, you know, less than 30% of the actual functionality that's on them. So I'm very passionate about when we have a partner solution, let's thoroughly vet it. Let's understand all of the capabilities and competencies. And that's one of the things that I really value about the Cisco and Meraki teams is, you know, tell me everything that it does. We may only choose to take advantage of 70%. At this time, or maybe we develop a roadmap around how we get there. But but again, the education, the awareness, and then the ongoing, um, this is what's coming next. And looking around the corner on my behalf um, to say, this is something that other retailers are looking at, or this is something that is up next um, for new model year, if you will, um, is certainly really helpful for me. Yeah, that, thanks for calling that out. I mean, what's the point of having incredibly powerful technology if people aren't using it or don't know how to use it or feel overwhelmed by it, right? So the fact that simplicity, ease of use, scale, knowing the full portfolio and what it can do is very important to you um, is music to my ears to hear that. And it is very powerful technology, but it is simple to use and deploy. So that's kind of the, the key takeaway. Um, you know, I guess you know, a VP of IT infrastructure, I am sure you wear a million and one hats throughout the day and you have so much going on. I guess, you know, in terms of what you care about from a technology perspective, and we've hit a little bit on this already, but, you know, what challenges are you concerned about that you're thinking about now that you're kind of looking forward, looking into the future? What keeps you up at night? You know, how are you thinking three steps ahead to stay ahead of the technology curve and how thing, how quickly things change. Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, security is always front of mind. So anytime that I evaluate a solution or my team's evaluating a solution, um, whether that's something new in the, in the hardware space, something new in the software space, the SaaS space, et cetera, it's what does the security posture look like and what does this do in the way of exposure or risk or risk mitigation? Um, so again, Having peace of mind and and somewhat in the in the way of just comfort level around ensuring that that solution or that partner has the same drive, the same passion and purpose around security is very key. Um, so that's that's obviously element one. Um, and then I would say, you know, what are we looking at? Obviously, you know, we look at you know legacy models of you know of data center. We look at legacy models of disaster recovery and business continuity. What do we need to do to always be ready? Um, you know, whenever things happen, you know, whenever things like COVID happen, when things happen like we called it Snowvid, but it, you know, this major you know snowstorm that hit you know the southern states last year that no one anticipated. Um, but what do we do to be, you know, to be best of ourselves in the way of readiness? Um, so that's certainly, you know, I wouldn't say second, but it's a, a close front runner to security in that regard. Um, and then, of course, it's always about, you know, what is it that we're doing to be able to be agile? Um, I want to be very confident whenever my my executives say, you know, look, we want to expand or we want to do X, Y or Z. 
I don't want to be, again, as I said earlier, I don't want to be the legacy long pole in the tent. I want to be able to, to pivot on a dime. I want to be able to say, yeah, our, our solutions and what we've done to build out, you know, the, you know, the cloud environment or to build out, you know, the solution that we have in place actually scales to that. And no, it's not going to come at, you know, 10 months and $10 million. It's going to come at, you know, a logical pace and a logical investment that is an enabler of the business. So always looking at those things, you know, there's still opportunities, obviously, and, and will be um, to still rid ourselves of some technology debt. I think anyone who says that they don't carry some tech debt is, is lying to themselves or someone else. But um, but there, there will always be those opportunities. But as long as we keep them, again, you know, on our roadmap and something that we're focusing on. Um, and not letting them just continue to fall by the by the wayside. I think that you know we're doing the right things right and being good stewards of the finances and of the business. Um, and then, you know, again, not last of the list by any stretch because I think I've reiterated it enough that you know the CX and AX is something that is very important to me and it's important for my team to understand. You know, this is not you know the IT organization of yesteryear where we sat behind a curtain and we really didn't engage with the business and you know we coded and developed and we made sure that things were you know lights on and everything was green in the rack and that's that's not the way that we operate anymore we're very engaged and very integrated with our business partners to understand what the needs are we don't want the very last thing that i want is anyone within our business to go out and find a solution I want them to go out and know what a problem is and to come back and trust us as their partners in technology to be able to find them the solution, to present them with opportunities, to present them with options, and them to trust us that we are the technology experts in that and we are going to partner with them for whatever is best to meet their needs and what's best to meet the needs of the business at a more holistic and enterprise level. So as we've built those relationships, um, we continue to foster those relationships. And so it's important to me that from a technology perspective, my team remains very engaged and stays within our store space, that they're going out and doing store visits, that they're going to our manufacturing facilities, that they're listening to those drivers of opportunity um, and really just being, again, good partners and good listeners. Um, and sometimes that means we're creating work, but there's always, you know, such goodness that comes out of building those relationships. Um, because again, whenever something, you know, it really comes down to it, like when we experienced COVID, that trust was really critical to us being given grace to go out and make a lot of really bold decisions to move pretty quickly um, against some technologies that, again, maybe would have taken um, several more months to have really baked in. Wow, that was such a rich answer and extremely thoughtful and it's clear you know what you're doing, you know your stuff, you've been in the role, um, and you've developed the relationships. I think that's a huge piece to what you said. You've earned that trust that the greater team, especially when you know disaster strikes or chaos hits, like they know they've got a team behind them that's going to support them, and that trust and foundation has been built. Um, but I think first and foremost, the fact that you started with security, right, high on the list for every single person in your position is how are we future proofing, you know, are vendors thinking about security like we are? Uh, and, and I think Cisco is really shifting and we have been a security company, obviously, for years and years and years, but more than ever, that is, you know, a primary focus for us. So um, thank you for expanding on that. I want to transition 
And the theme of our episode today is to highlight an amazing uh, female leader. But I want to talk about, because it's March, um, you know, uh, it's History Month, and talk about women in technology and what it means for women within your organization to look up and see you in a role that you're in. I mean, what has your, you know, what, what have you overcome in your journey to get where you are today? And I think, especially for the female listeners uh, tuning into the podcast, have you ever faced imposter syndrome yourself, you know, and, and how have you combated that to get to where you are today? Sure. Thank you. I, I'm so passionate about talking about this. Um, I think, you know, there are so many key things that, you know, I've learned over the years um, that have made me the person and the leader that I am um, that, you know, I could, I could talk, you know, for, for hours about it. Um, I'm so incredibly fortunate. I have worked for some amazing, amazing people over the course of 20 plus years. And um, I've also worked for some people that I learned some really great lessons in who I didn't want to be. And I think that is probably a great takeaway is rather than allowing for those those leaders, those managers, I, I, you know, kind of hesitate to use the word leader in that space, but for those persons in roles of authority, um, rather than allowing for them to steal your joy, to steal your purpose and your passion, but to rather allow for them to be a character builder for you. Um, you know, there have been things that were said over the course of years that now I reflect on and I'm like, I can't believe that someone would say that because we've come such a long way. But at the same time, I haven't lost sight of it because I knew very quickly that that wasn't going to define me, but it was a defining moment in who I wanted to be. And, you know, as I look across that, it's something I've tried to teach, you know, my adult daughter and my son about how he treats, you know, women and those around him and just respect for people in general. And the you know, the appreciation for diversity, because that really is what builds ingenuity and innovation. If we were all exactly the same, it would be a very flat existence. So appreciating those differences um, and appreciating the voice um, that not everyone is bold and brazen about how they come in with ideas, but recognizing that some come in with a much softer delivery of that. Some come in with a more quiet and unassuming delivery, but being able to take them all in and also being able to elevate those voices that are a little bit more quiet and a little bit softer. Um, so again, I sit in a very, very privileged seat. I am so fortunate and so blessed. Um, I've had, you know, over the course of my time here, I have worked for some phenomenal people that have really given me the opportunity to grow and given me the opportunity to think independently but I knew all the while that I had tremendous support from them. Um, I've been afforded the opportunity to make mistakes. Um, and again, I knew that I had their support. Um, and that's exactly how I try to foster and mentor my team and mentor those around me and mentor those um, external to VisionWorks. And I, it's very important to me that people understand that I am I'm going to be right there um, because whenever you choose to make a decision, that's monumental. If you hold back from making a decision, you're always going to hold back. And so sometimes that requires that you're going to make a mistake or it's not going to be fully as great as you expected it to be. You know, 
backing up isn't the same as backing down. And, you know, just understanding and appreciating that um, that we're in this together. But I think, you know, when we talk about vulnerability and that's a hard, that's a really hard attribute. And I do view it as an attribute, as something that's a positive. But the challenge there, especially as women and as women leaders, is we have to empower others around us to be vulnerable. So often we take the opportunity to play on that vulnerability as an opportunity to kind of one up. Um, and we have to stop doing that. We have to do better by affording people, no matter where they are in their career, no matter where they are in their age or their demographic or what have you, but it is perfectly okay to come in and be vulnerable. There shouldn't be assumptions that you know something just because you've sat in role or you've you know, been around for X number of years or what have you, it's perfectly okay to be vulnerable. Um, but that is really tough to absorb, but it's because we've got to build an environment that fosters that, um, that, assumes that people are going to be human um, and that instead of looking for opportunities to find weakness, that we look for opportunities to find weakness so that we can celebrate it, so that we can make it better and we can do so collectively. Um, so that's something that I think we have to build on that just as women and women leaders. And it's not just about women, right? It's about men equally being, you know, having the willingness and the space to be vulnerable. I think it comes as as much, if not more of a challenge for them than it does for us. So if we could come to an environment where you take the gender piece out of it and everyone just understands that it's perfectly okay for you to be, you know, human and it's okay for you to come in with coffee spilled on your, your shirt. And it's okay. I mean, all of those basic things, right. But, you know, we've got to, we've got to really work on that together. Um, and then, you know, another big, big thing for me is I would just say, the seat at the table maybe is a little bit overused in the way of, you know, how many times we've said it. But if I were to reuse that, I would say never assume that your seat or your chair are always there. You have to continue to own that. You have to continue to use it and to use it for good. Um, that realm of influence, that's a privilege. That is not an owned right. I, I don't subscribe to the idea that, you know, everyone deserves the seat at the table. I believe no matter what your gender or what your your ethnicity is, everyone needs to needs to really come to the point where they've earned their seat at the table. Now, everyone, no matter what their difference is, should have the opportunity to get there. But once you're there, you also have to continue to build on that. And how are you going to do so? Are you going to come in and you're going to be a bull in a china shop and you're just going to say, well, I'm here and, you know, this is now my space and I'm going to, you know, take it for what it is and I'm just going to write it out. Or am I going to continue to be a catalyst for change and be the person who wants to make everyone around me better? Um, because I think when we start to recognize and really allow for us to, you know, kind of dig deep and, and really sink into the thought that, hey, you know, when my leaders are successful and when everybody else at the table and my peer group is successful and I've enabled the success and the trust of my team, I'm just centered in success. Right. And it's a great feeling to have that, but we've got to focus beyond ourselves to do so. So the, you know, the table seat is one that, you know, I get a little bit hung up on because I do believe that it's something that's a constant 
um, opportunity for us to understand how we can continue to grow that and to make it better, but we've got to continue to earn it. Absolutely. I think the big message around that is don't get complacent. Even if you've earned your way to the table, keep adding value, keep growing, keep getting outside your comfort zone. Um, I took away so much from that answer just now. I have a ton of notes on the side here. I think something I love that I want to reiterate is you've had things that happened to you, um, but you you weren't going to let it define you, but it was a defining moment for you. I think that is super powerful for people, regardless of gender, that are in situations where Maybe they don't get along great with their boss and, and instead of letting it define you, using it as leverage and a learning lesson and, and you know, taking what you can from that experience and applying it to your next role um, and appreciating everyone for their differences right on the money. You are going to have people who are louder in the room and quieter in the room and being a leader and making sure there's that equitable experience for your folks, whether they are you know, an extrovert or an introvert is hugely important because that falls into that inclusion piece, right? That we're all trying to create. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And then your thing about vulnerability, could not agree more. I'm like a huge Brene, Bruff, um, Brene Brown buff, excuse me. So you probably, have you read any of her books? I have, yes. Yes, yeah, there you go. I knew it, see, I could tell. She's a Brene girl. Um, okay, let's transition. I think this is perfect because we're talking about uh, creating environments where people feel safe, where they feel included. Uh, at Meraki, we have uh, employee resource groups. One of them is Women of Meraki. I'm a part of that. I absolutely love it. Um, I understand that you are a part you know, of the DEI efforts at Vision Works, and you're very passionate about that. Will you kind of share your experience there and in, in, in uh, the groups that you're a part of? Sure. Yeah, I'm really excited about where we are. Um, so uh, the better part of a, a year ago was really when we took what were some, you know, some previous um, efforts and actions around, you know, recognizing, you know, Women's History Month or, or Black History Month or, you know, different things that were more readily recognized at the national level or what have you, but really came to, to understand that that wasn't enough. And it certainly felt as though we were just part of a broad cause. We weren't really doing our part to engage and empower our associates to be part of something that they were passionate about, to be part of a group that they felt safe and comfortable within to talk about either their experience, to talk about um, why they were passionate about being part of a certain business resource group. And so we stood up several of these. Um, and I was so excited um, when I was given the opportunity to uh, be an executive sponsor of any one of, you know, of six or eight groups that we have. And I chose our LGBTQ plus group because I'm, I'm very passionate about ensuring that everyone understands that VisionWorks is a safe space, that it's a, a space that embraces diversity, that is intolerant of hate. Um, because it's one thing to say, hey, you can come in here and, and you can, you know, shop no matter what we, you know, we will be, you know, very kind and very nice. But I'm also committing to you that I'm not going to tolerate hateful behavior within that environment. I'm not going to tolerate for someone to, you know, mistreat or to name call or to shun someone based on any of those things. So 
that's something that, you know, as we look at, you know, the Trevor Project and the mental and emotional health aspect of it, you know, that's holistic health. You can't just parse out and say, you know, we're focused on someone's physical health if we're not willing to look at, you know, the impacts and the influences over someone's emotional and mental health. And while we don't play in the space of providing that type of care, ensuring that we have an environment that really drives something where people feel as though this is a place where I like to come and shop. This is a place where I like to come and get my eye exam because it's it's nice to be in here. It's it's fun and I like the people I'm engaged with and I like that there's diversity in the associates. I like that someone has, you know, purple hair and I like that this person is, you know, has tattoos. I like that they gender identify on their name tag. Things that make people really understand this isn't lip service. This is what we do and it's who we are um, because you have to practice big proponent. You have to practice what you preach. And it's one thing to throw up a decal on a window slick or something of that nature. It's something to say, hey, you know, you know, we love everyone. But when you put it into motion and you enable the associates on the retail floor, when you enable people to tell their stories, when you afford people the opportunity to be their authentic selves when they show up and they're authentic in the retail space. So when we're talking about our associates, they get to truly be who they are. Then whenever that patient or that customer comes in, they recognize that, they feel it, and they also feel as though they can be their authentic selves. And that's the space that I want to ensure we create, and we do so for the long term, and we do so for every age and for every demographic and for every walk of life. And so being part of that resource group meant so very much to me. And then hearing the stories come out of our associates about what they've experienced and knowing that we could really make a difference and and do so very quickly, um, I obviously am pretty excited about. That's amazing. And and what is leading that employee resource group? What is that meant to you, you know, on a personal level? You talked about practicing what you preach and your company kind of lives lives by those values. Is this the first opportunity that you've had in your career to kind of lead a group like this? So I've I've done so um for a number of other causes outside of our organization, um, and very active in, you know, a, a number of different uh, number of different fronts around uh, domestic violence awareness and crisis center and outreach. And, and again, mental health awareness is something that is a very passionate cause for me. Um, but for within VisionWorks, this is really the first time that we've done something that is enterprise wide. We've we've done a number of different volunteer initiatives over the years. And, you know, we do, you know, all kinds of things, again, around, you know, national and international recognized months, days, et cetera. But this is really something that's actioned against. And so being able to be part of that and being able to have the level of influence that I do as an executive and to be able to make decisions that listen to the voice of those that are on the front line, that are working in our retail stores, that are hearing what would make for a better experience for them and for our patients and customers is just phenomenal. Um, You know, it's it's flair, it's buttons that are, you know, our, our logo with, you know, a rainbow color versus just the plain black that we normally have. It's, you know, being able to have branded merchandise that, you know, is reflective of something that truly shows our diversity and our passion around it. And I, I just love that we're getting so action oriented um, versus just, you know, we, again, put a sign on the door like a lot of other organizations might do. This is really something that we want to be um, part of our identity and part of our brand, part of who we are, because that being human, 
that's what being human is. It's, it doesn't matter. It's not, well, you are human to this walk of life or you're human to this gender, you're human to this sexual um, preference. No, it's being human. And that means everyone. So I I just love that we're, we're really, again, really actioning against that. Totally. And you can hear the passion in your voice and it just like emanates and the belief you have and the mission and what you're doing. So that, thank you for sharing that. And um, it is really inspiring. You know, we're talking a lot about uh, people feeling included and, you know, what, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, creating environments where people can show up and be themselves. I know that even at Meraki, we got the question from male allies within our organization. I want to get involved. I want to help. I want to be an ally. Can I join this employee resource group? Is it okay? Obviously, we said, of course, we, we, women can't get to where we want if we don't have our male allies. You know, do you, can you share any tips, tricks for men out there listening who want to show up uh, in a bigger way or be an ally who might not know the first step to take or, or just in general, how do, how do they show up better to be an ally? Absolutely. Um, It's, it's just about ensuring that everyone, you know, is, feels supported, that they feel as though that's something that it's, it's not putting on a facade. It's not saying, Hey, I support you. It's about building an environment that says, I'm not looking at an opportunity to build a runway for you because you are this. It's, I'm looking at an opportunity to build a runway for the greatest of talent around me and the greatest of people around me, the greatest of purpose around me. And so I think when you start to de-identify the gender piece of it a bit, it makes people a bit more comfortable, um, but it's it's still the elephant in the room. So talk about it. Um, it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know exactly how to handle this. And I've had some of the greatest conversations come out of, you know, very tenured, you know, male executives and leaders that come in and say, um, yeah, I don't think I handled this well, or this is how I think I should do this, or the conversation should go. Can we play it out and just talk through it and have kind of the dialogue? Or can you give me some advice on how you would receive this? And I do the same thing. I do the exact same thing with my male colleagues. Sometimes I'm not, you know, perfect and polished at exactly how I should have that conversation. But as soon as, you know, we understand that we can leverage that with one another to learn how to be, you know, again, effectively human and treat each other with, you know, dignity and respect. Um, I think that that's really probably the biggest helpful um, tip that I would say. And then again, I think it's probably just trying to let go of even those unconscious bias that we have. We all have them, but you can't let go until you recognize them. So dig deep and, you know, hop online, find an unconscious bias, um, you know, quiz survey um, and, and assessment, and you would be amazed at what you can learn about yourself. But and when you start to talk about your own flaws and your own opportunities, um, then whenever you have them and you know that you want to work on them, it changes really the dynamic. Yep, sure. We do an unconscious bias training at Meraki, and it was extremely helpful. And to your point, there's no shame around it. We all have them. The, the trick is the self-awareness piece, 
right? And finding that. And then, and then to your point about humanizing the experience and asking for help when you need it, we're not going to approach every situation perfectly. Sorry, that's impossible. So I love that advice about just be human, ask for help, lean on each other. Um, You know, we talk about leaning in, lean on each other to, to be better. Well, Shauna, this has been such a fun conversation. I have one more question for you, and then we're going to wrap up the episode today. Um, you are a powerhouse, and that is clear after chatting with you just for you know 45 minutes. What advice, and it's clear to me that you built a brand for yourself and a reputation. What advice do you have for folks listening who are looking to build their brand, take that next step? Um you know, kind of step into the light a little bit more who haven't done that already? What's something that they could be doing today? Um, gosh, it's hard just to put it to one. I, I think it, it's probably you've got to get out of your own way. Um, we're all our own biggest protagonist and critic um, and will forever be. If you're someone who has an aspiration to be better and to be bolder and to be to be bigger in your space, you should be. Um, there's something healthy about the nudge that comes from that, from that inner fire um, and that self-doubt. But there's also something that's very destructive about it, if uncontrolled. So I think recognizing that that being in your way, it's not really worth it. You've got to make a conscious effort and be willing to to step out of your own way, to be really confident about falling down, about making those mistakes, um, but getting out of your own headspace and just understanding that there are going to be other people on the peripheral that are going to doubt you. There are going to be people on the peripheral that are going to support you and cheer you on. And those are the people that you need to find to really kind of push you the journey. But listen to those other voices, too, because they can also be certainly something that can help to add fuel to that fire that you already have within. Mm -hmm. Amen. Get out of your own way. We are our biggest critic. That is for sure. We all have those limiting beliefs, um, but you got to find people who are in your corner and, you know, that, that motivate you and, and help get you out of that headspace when you go there. So wonderful advice. Well, it is so refreshing to have chatted with you. I'm so happy that we have, obviously Meraki has incredible customers, but to, to sit down with the customer who really aligns with our values, our core mission, and is driving some really amazing things within their organization is just uh, fabulous to hear. So I can't wait for all of our uh, Cisco and Meraki listeners to hear this episode today. So thank you, Shauna. Well, again, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Sammy. It's been great visiting with you today. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. We will be back in two weeks with uh, more episodes, new content. Uh, This is Sammy Brenner signing off for today, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Take care.